0: sermon for today. I have a uh, kind of a, just a little bit of a comical, maybe almost to some people it might be a little bit gross, but uh, I've got a birthmark on the back of my hand here. And I uh, remember when I first noticed that birthmark, maybe you have a birthmark as well, they're actually quite common, a lot of people have them people have them in different places and things like that, and they're usually um, you're born with them, or sometimes they develop soon after birth. And the interesting thing about this birthmark is how I first noticed it was there. Um, I was—I was—I wasn't very old. I don't know how I was, how old I was, but actually, it's a very early memory for me. But I remember a fly landed on the back of my hand right there, and I swatted it, and that's when I first noticed that birthmark on my hand. I can still remember it, and I thought that swatting the fly had made that mark on my hand. And like I said, it's the first time I'd ever noticed it. And I went to my mom and I said, hey, look at this. And she says, it's a birthmark. And I said, no, it's not. I swatted a fly and it left that mark. Um, because I thought that swatting the fly had left that mark on my hand. But uh, I was convinced for some time as well that that mark had been left on my hand. It was a stain from that, swy, that fly that I had swatted on the back of my hand. But uh, anyway, that's the story of how I discovered the birthmark on the back of Of my hand and most of us have some kind of birthmark Um, most people do I suppose I don't know really what how many would have them but I suppose a lot of people would but a friend of mine sent me an article uh, week before last and it was called birthmarks of a born-again believer and our message today is partly inspired by that article because I thought you know that's a good thing to go over especially after what we talked about last week and You know, people who call Jesus Lord and Jesus says, depart from me, you know, you who do evil, I never knew you. And that may have been a bit unsettling for some. But this is a little different approach to kind of a similar topic, really. And it's meant to give us some assurance in those times when we may, you know, struggle with our beliefs and and wonder, you know, gosh, what, you know, do, I, do I really know Jesus? Am I really saved? Because that's something that believers sometimes struggle with. And these birthmarks that we're going to talk about are things that can sometimes give us assurance when we need that assurance and give us some peace when we need that peace. And I'm also hoping that maybe it might be a point of reference that people could return to later, you know, with everything being online the way it is now, or someone might find it later and be able to make use of it. But sometimes we feel a little unsteady, and we may wonder where we are with God. And I think most people probably go through that to varying degrees at some points, but there are some birthmarks that we can return to, that we can look at and think about and remember as born-again believers, and help us draw some, just a bit of peace, maybe a bit of security, From those birthmarks things that we can look at from kind of a you know an objective point of view I guess you could say in our own life and say well you know I've got these so that's something at least I've got that going for me and when I say born-again believer what does that mean exactly and that's kind of a term that's sometimes uh, almost used in a derogatory sense I hear you know people talk about those born-again people But what is a born again believer when I say that? It's a term that was used by Jesus when he said born again in John chapter 3 verse 3 when he was having a conversation with Nicodemus and he said to Nicodemus unless someone is born again he can't see the kingdom of God. And Jesus is referring in that being born again to what happens when we come to know Jesus as our Savior. That event, that moment when we we understand the gospel we believe the gospel and we are saved by God's grace through the sacrifice of Jesus and at that point we die to our old self and are made alive spiritually speaking in Jesus Christ and Paul mentions that in Romans and Ephesians as well and that's what it means to be born again if you are a saved believer you believe the gospel you are born again If not, then you're on that road, that broad road that we talked about last week that so many are on, that road where people stand before Jesus and he says, depart from me because I never knew you. Now, if you're not born again, if you're not a saved believer, you certainly can be. That's a gift that God offers freely to everyone when we turn to him in faith. But when a person is born again, and more to the point of what we're talking about today, There are certain birthmarks that come along with that. And we're going to be looking at a few of those this morning. It's not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the word. I'm sure that we could come up with some more if we wanted to. But we're going to look at a few that we can look at and maybe return to later when we're struggling with our faith and having a difficult time. And we're going to be looking at those from the book of 1 John. 1 John. And it's helpful to look, when we're looking at the book of 1 John, it's helpful to look kind of. To the end of the book to understand the beginning. And when you look at first John chapter 5, verse 13, this is what John says to his readers, he says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God, the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you might know, may know that you have eternal life. And that kind of sums up the book of first John. And what we're also talking about today. Some things that we can know so we know that we have eternal life. And that's part of John's purpose in writing this book is to give his his readers some assurance. To help some people who were struggling with um, resting in the knowledge of salvation and knowing that they had been born again. He tells them, I've written these things to you so that you might know that you have eternal life. And there's a specific struggle in the lives of these early believers that is is happening when John writes this letter to them. And back at the beginning of the book, in the first four verses, John gives his credentials to his readers as to why he's able to talk about the things that he does in this book and why he's able to offer assurance to them. And this is what he says, in 1st John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 and as we read this look at the things that John talks about specifically and they're they're kind of physical things kind of tangible things listen to what he says he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have touched concerning the word of life the life was revealed and we have seen it and testify to it And announce to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us. You notice in the beginning there he says that we've heard it, we've seen, we've looked, we've touched. All of these things are very tangible things. And then verse 3 goes on to say, We declare to you that which we have seen and which we have heard that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete let's pray Lord we're thankful for your word as we look to it today I pray that you would make it clear to us I pray that you would convict us where we need convicting help us to live our lives more in accordance with the way you would have us to live and I pray that from these things we would find assurance assurance where we need it maybe conviction if we're, we're not a saved believer But I just pray that you would work these things in our lives to your will. And we're thankful for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. As you read through the rest of the book, you'll likely notice that John speaks to his readers kind of like they're his grandkids. He says, my little children and things like that. He's very connected with these readers. He cares for them very much. And he knows they are struggling uh, with some things. And he doesn't want them to be led astray. And the Bible teaches that once you are a born-again believer, that's a permanent thing. That's a permanent thing. And some of the believers that John is writing to were, were questioning that. They were worried about it. They were concerned. They were questioning their faith. They were questioning, you know, salvation, things like that. And so John writes to them to, to help bring them some peace and comfort and also to straighten out some heretical doctrine that was, that was kind of creeping in amongst them. Some Gnostic doctrine specifically is what John is writing about. And it had been circulating among these uh, early born-again believers. And it seems to me that these books of the Bible that we look to, that we go through, even though they're very old, they become more and more relevant with time. Because today we have so much information and it spreads so quickly that a book like this, John's dealing with kind of a Gnostic kind of thinking. It's, it's just as important today as it is the day he wrote it. And sometimes we as Christians, we, we get wrapped up in things, you know, we're bombarded with so much stuff and we, we spend some too much time digging around in the odd corners of the internet and things like that. And we pick up things along the way that aren't really good for us. Or we, even in mainstream media, we tend to pick up things that aren't really good for us. And they can be distracting, they can be misleading, and they can even be unsettling. And that's kind of why John is writing this book, is to help these people who are struggling. And there's still a lot of Gnostics in the world today. And Gnosticism, it was a specific sect of Christianity very early in Christian history. But that term Gnostic, I, I tend to stretch it out a little bit to just the general kind of thinking. And basically a Gnostic is someone who is esoteric, which means that they what they believe and they believe is, is shared only or shared and understood, I should say, and we'll put understood um, in air quotes, but it's understood by a small group of people. And it's those those beliefs are shared by a small group of people. And it's... There's, there's a bit of an air of pride that comes with that knowledge. It's something that other people don't have. Now, there's, there's a lot of knowledge. Everyone here would probably have some kind of knowledge that is, is only part of a small group of people, like people with a PhD or, or, or a physics teacher and things like that um, would share knowledge that's only shared with, with a small group of people. But we're not talking about factual, scientific kinds of knowledge. What we're talking about in this case is, is somewhat mystical. Knowledge. And there was a specific sect, like I said, of early Christianity who were Gnostics. But in general, a Gnostic believes they possess something special that others don't. And that special knowledge places them on a different plane, in a different place, spiritually speaking. And we've talked a lot about how people believe, often believe wrongly, that they are saved or made right with God through good works. Now a Gnostic would believe something kind of similar in that a person would be saved, not by good works, but by a special knowledge that only this small group of people have. They have a knowledge that others don't and that places them in a right standing with God. That's Gnostic thinking, which is just as much wrong as as salvation by works. And I suppose you could label many cults as, as Gnostic kind of thinking. They believe they have some special knowledge that others don't. Whereas someone who is agnostic, for instance, believes that nothing can be known or is known about God and his nature. A a Gnostic believes they have special knowledge about God that others don't. Now, a basic Christian teaching is that Jesus was born in the flesh. He was born in the flesh. He was God as a man. And one of the things these very early Gnostics taught uh, that was heretical was that Jesus was not really in a physical body. He was some kind of apparition or something like that because they believed flesh was sinful. Therefore, you know, God couldn't kind of come as a man. And that's not necessarily true. Flesh is amoral. What we do with it is either sinful or not. But that's part of the reason why John opens the book the way he does when we circle back around that, when he says we've seen, we've touched with our hand we've heard Jesus he's telling everyone he says he's a physical man we saw it we heard it and this idea that he was not that is wrong and no doubt people were being unsettled and confused by this Gnostic doctrine some were probably even being told well you don't really know Jesus because you don't know what I do and hence why John writes the things he does in this book and as John writes this letter he shows us several birthmarks Of a born-again believer to give his readers something they can stand on and gain some solid footing against this amongst false teaching that is causing them grief and we can do that same thing today you know when we struggle when we question when we're worried about our salvation which I think a lot of believers are, are worried about at times these are some things that we can look at and say okay well here's some solid ground I can stand on that's going to give me some peace and some reassurance. And we're going to bounce around the book a little bit, but the birthmark of a believer we're starting with is the birthmark of confession. Confession. First John 5, 1 John 5.1 says whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves the one born of the Father. So a prerequisite to having birthmarks is obviously being born. You have to be born to have birthmarks. So when we talk about birthmarks of a born again believer, we need to be born spiritually. And that means knowing Jesus as your Savior. Coming to that place where you understand that you need a Savior and that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and trusting Him. Trusting Him. Believing that believing that. Confessing that Jesus Christ is your Savior sent by God the Father. But it's also something more than just saying words. It's more than just saying words. It's a a heart a genuine heart understanding of the gospel. Belief and understanding. You know if you've ever seen a gospel tract um, which is a great thing by the way. They're wonderful. And they often have a prayer that someone can pray if they, they wish to do so as a way of confessing sin and accepting Jesus as Savior, but that prayer, is, it's meant to be a helpful guide, it's not, like, it's not a required ritual, it's not a work that we do to be saved, the words that we speak, and last week we talked a little bit about environmental Christians, people who call Jesus Lord but, but don't know Jesus, the people that are on the broad road that Jesus says, you know, you call me Lord but I don't even know who you are and it can be the case that someone can be in a Christian environment, have even prayed a prayer off of a tract or been led in prayer by someone else and still not know Jesus. And I've, I've seen this multiple times myself. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember some church people used to bug me a lot and they kept bothering me about being saved. And well, you know, and who, who knows, God probably used some of that to bring me along later. But they kept telling me, you need to pray this prayer to be saved and one day I said okay well I'll pray this prayer with you but I didn't really understand what it meant or what Jesus had done for me I just wanted to be left alone so I prayed and then they stopped bugging me and went on down the road but I obviously I didn't know Jesus I wasn't born again I wasn't saved Uh, when I was in the military I saw similar things happen along the way there was a street we used to walk down and everyone on that tree street was trying to sell these, these military guys something. You were on base, and you got on the bus, and the bus would take you out into the town, and it would drop you off, and it would drop you off at this street. And there was all the, all the guys who rode this bus and went to the street were relatively new. We called them boots, and, which I was one at the time. And we were new, and we'd wander down the street, and there was all these shops. And they knew you had a lot of money, and they knew most of us were pretty naive and had never been anywhere or seen anything. And their goal was to get you to part with your paycheck. And this was new to, to, to most of us. And they tried to take advantage of this. They knew you had a pocket full of money. And I've got a lot of funny stories about that, but mostly they're irrelevant. We'll maybe be able to use them another day. But everywhere you walked, they had a guy that would sit out in front of the store or even better, a pretty girl who would sit out in front of the store and, and try to get you inside so they could scam you out of your money. And they also had some kind of hook to get you in the door. They'd ask you, where are you from? And th- it was pretty amazing. I mean, they were pretty talented, actually. And, and they, You'd tell them where you were from, and it seems like no matter what you said, they had something relevant to say about where you were from and, and strike up a conversation with you and eventually get you in the door so they could sell you whatever it was they wanted to sell you. And in amongst all of this was also a building where people invited military guys inside for some, some juice and some biscuits and we were walking by this place and and some guy in the street I was walking with another guy and some guy in the street says hey you guys want to come in for some cookies and uh, the guy I was with said yeah sure and I was like what are you doing man didn't your parents teach you anything you don't do stuff like that but anyway we end up inside this place and they, they gave us some cookies and then they gave us a high pressure gospel sales pitch and they wanted to corner us into praying this prayer and it was, it was really just like every other shop on the street. And this guy goes through his well-rehearsed pitch and, and asks us, would we like to pray this sinner's prayer? And I just looked at him and said no. And the guy was from was from a different place in different culture, and he thought that was terribly rude, so he, he prayed with the guy. And he walked out of there, and he was no more saved than a house cat. But that sounds kind of harsh, and I'm sure people doing that meant well. And I'm sure there were people who were introduced to Jesus. That's just to say that speaking words doesn't necessarily equate to knowing Jesus. It doesn't necessarily equate. The two don't necessarily come together. And the Bible teaches that all people have an inherent sin nature, and that sin nature separates us from God. And no amount of amount of morality or clean living or or prayer or effort of any kind on that on our part changes that that's why God became a man that's why he lived a perfectly righteous life and shed his blood and raised from the grave three days later he did that to pay the penalty for our sin to receive our judgment and to prove his power over death and we believe we understand that and we confess that as believers It's not that we just say it, although we do, but it's a heart understanding. A heart understanding. A heart and a head understanding. Confession involves more than just words. It's more than just a prayer. It's a genuine understanding of the Gospel and acceptance of Jesus as Savior. And that is a birthmark of a born again believer. Birthmark of a born again believer. So, one is confession. And another birthmark is change. Confession and change. Change. 1 John 2.29 says, If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does righteousness is born of Him. When we are born again, it's not just about confession with our mouth, but it's also a supernatural change that happens within us. Something happens in us. And the way the Bible describes that change is being born again, like Jesus told Nicodemus, being made a new creation in Christ, like Paul talks about in Romans and Ephesians. Change is a birthmark of a born-again believer. In the book of 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's something that's true spiritually, and it manifests itself physically. Of course, I think everyone would understand that doesn't mean perfection, obviously. Change doesn't mean perfection, It doesn't mean a total absence of sin in our life, but it does mean change. That's a birthmark of a born-again believer. It does mean things like being dissatisfied with sin in my life, being convicted when I do something I know I shouldn't, that I know is against God's will. It means being uncomfortable with the sin in my life. It means not wanting it there. It means I'm something new and different than who I used to be. And one thing I'll say about this, and sometimes I offer this counsel to people who may be struggling. And this is, actually this change is a very positive thing. And sometimes it's very helpful to look at this change when I may be struggling with where I'm at in my walk with the Lord. And the birthmark of change, change is, is, it's interesting. We're going to talk about something different here in a minute. But change is interesting because when we talk about this kind of change, it's something that kind of happens in us and to us. And it doesn't really involve a whole lot of our own effort. And it may be more obvious to others than it is to us, because we are kind of in the middle of it, and it's happening all the time. And for instance, if, if you'd known me for a short time, you probably won't see much change in me. But if you knew me before I came to know Jesus, you'd see quite a bit of change. But sometimes we need to step outside of ourselves, outside of our life, outside of our own narrative, and, and look back along the timeline of our life and think about, okay, I was there then, and this is where I am now. Is there change? Am I different? Am I a different person now than I was back then? And one of the birthmarks of a born-again believer is change will be evident. From where I was then to where I am now, I'll be a different person. And I may not necessarily uh, feel that change, I might not necessarily see it happening all the time, but I will notice a difference. It will be different. When it's, super cha- when it's supernatural change and not religious effort, it's, it's pretty, it, it almost feels like it's happening on its, on its own, but we are different. And being born again is a supernatural event that makes right change possible. And over time, we go through the process of sanctification. But for a born-again believer, change is a birthmark that will be evident, will be different than we were before. And if you can look back over your life and you can see change and think, well, I'm, I'm different now than I was when I came to know Jesus, that's a birthmark. That's something we can find uh, assurance in, not just in personal effort, not just in personal effort, although that's important too, but just change. That's a birthmark. So confession, change, and the next birthmark is compassion. Confession, change, and compassion are all birthmarks of of born-again believers. And you can also look at it like this, what you believe, how you live, and who you love. What you believe, how you live, and who you love. 1 John 4, 7 says, Behold, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves God is born of God and knows God. 1 John chapter 3, again 14, verse 14 tells us pointedly that Christians love other Christians. And we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love his brother remains in death. Now it's very obvious that there are varying degrees of love and compassion and all that kind of stuff. And love and compassion, it's not something that's exclusive to Christians. Pretty much everybody loves somebody whether they're a believer or not. However, John writes that Christians love each other. And when he does this, I think, I think he's speaking in, in almost an institutional sense. Like everybody, do you love God's family? Do you love your church? It is a birthmark of a born-again believer. And I always like to take these things a step further and clarify them a little bit. But loving other believers is, is more than just you know, being buddies with, with people at church, or hanging out together see everyone does that clubs do that people do that kids at school do that everybody likes their friends and they they hang out together and I believe what John's talking about here is something a little bit different to that he's talking about love for the plural the brothers the brothers he said and of course that includes women as well obviously I don't even need to say that but what John is getting at as I understand and study this is he's talking about love for church as a whole your church as a whole We know that a local church is it's it's not a building but a group of believers it's a group of people who are born again believers loving the brothers as john puts it means actively being an asset to your church family i love my church and i'm an asset for it participating in worship participating in ministry and being being a blessing to other folks being you know seeking unity and peace and health for the church family as a whole. You know, we've all got our, our, the people that we tend to talk to more and hang out with more and all that stuff. But a born-again believer, a birthmark, is loving church as a whole, which in a sense leads to the next birthmark, which is conflict. Conflict. Conflict is a birthmark of a born-again believer. And this is one that's, that's kind of easy to get confused as to what... He's talking about in this case. And as a Christian, you you don't have to create conflict. It's going to find you, it will come to you. It's something that you don't need to look for, and you're going to find it because it's something that's inside of you. And this, you know, this isn't so much uh, being involved in social turmoil as it is a conflict that's happening inside of us. And the proof of that is that everybody in some way is involved in some kind of social or political turmoil so that's not necessarily the birthmark of a born-again believer but what is 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 something that's going on inside of us conflict inside of us first John in in chapter 4 he says for whoever is born of God overcomes the world and the victory that overcomes the world is our faith who is it that overcomes the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God now the word overcome Implies struggle. It implies conflict. And when we talk about struggle and conflict for a believer, we're talking about the struggle that happens within ourselves as we live our lives for Jesus. And we know there's lots of struggle in the world and things like this, but this is something specific for Christians. This is a birthmark of a born again believer. We're talking about the struggle that happens in us as we live our lives for Jesus. That's what John writes about. And I think understanding that. Sometimes it's a real challenge for us. And believers are worried about changing you know, the political climate or the social culture or whatever it may be. And what this is talking about is changing ourselves, working within ourselves, that conflict that happens within us as we live our lives for Jesus. And one thing in that verse that we just read that we need to recognize is sometimes we miss the fact that the victory is already won faith is the victory that overcomes the world and we spend too much time sometimes on our soapbox and not enough time on our knees worrying about what's going on inside of us the conflict happening within us john says in what what is it here he says in chapter 2 verses 15 through 17 he says do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world and its desires are passing away; they're going away. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. I see that verse sixteen: that for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's a that's a that's a a formula for a successful advertising campaign. There, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Anyway. John writes that all the things in this world are passing away. It's not our home, so we don't want to overinvest here. This is not where we want to grow roots. As believers, we're thinking about eternal things, things that will be for all of eternity. And we settle ourselves in the things that matter, the things of God, doing the will of God, and that means working through the conflict that happens inside of us. It means living our lives for God, and we struggle with that. I know, I struggle with that. Now the last birthmark that we're talking about this morning is conflict. Con- or, sorry, conflict. That's when we just conduct. Conduct is the birthmark, a birthmark of a born again believer. Conduct. John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 verse 9 says whoever has been born of God does not practice sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Now again, we want to be careful not to confuse that with the idea of being completely sinless. We talked a bit about change and change and conduct are not unrelated but the change we talked about is more something that happens to us and conduct is more the part we play in it, more the decisions we make. Whereas the change we talked about are, is, is just what comes along with being born again and God working things out in us and this conduct is kind of The part we play in that. The part we play in that. And the combination of the two kind of makes up the process of sanctification that we go through. And what John says here is that a birthmark of a born again believer is the fact that a believer can't willfully continue on in the same sin that they have been and have assurance of salvation. If we're not convicted, if we don't want to change it, if we're okay with it, something's not right. We need to seriously consider that. Conduct as a birthmark of a born-again believer means that when we sin, we grieve that sin. We don't want that sin in our lives. We confess it. We seek God's grace to help us do better. We pursue that. We, We want to do better. We want to be different. So confession, change, compassion, conflict, and conduct are all birthmarks of a born-again believer. And I'm sure like I said, we could come up with a few more, but nonetheless, these are birthmarks. And do you have those? Confession, change, compassion, conflict, and conduct. I met a guy one time who said that he never once doubted or struggled with his faith. He never once doubted or struggled with his salvation. And the fact that he was a born-again believer. said, never bothered him. And, and I believe the guy. I know him very well. But he said he never, never bothered him. Never thought about it. He was just that guy. Like I said, I believed him. But for most of the rest of us, that's something we struggle with sometimes. We worry about it. We think about it. You know, I, I struggle, especially after our sermon last week. That may have been a little unsettling. We may not be confident in our relationship with God. And these are birthmarks that we can turn to, that we can look at, that we can think on in times that we struggle a little bit and maybe find assurance in those if we have them. And if you don't have those first marks, you know, you should probably take some time to look at that. Probably something you should think about because you may not be a born-again believer if you don't have those. Have you confessed Jesus as your Savior with a genuine, heartfelt understanding of what He has done for you and why you need Him? what he did on the cross when he shed his blood how he took his our judgment on himself do you understand that do you know that can you look back over your life and see where changes happened that really wasn't your doing or does your life look just like it always has and there's no difference do you love your church not just the people you like but do you love your church as a whole are you a blessing an asset to your church and you think about that well what did I think about church before I was saved I probably didn't think about it at all is there a conflict within you because you struggle and you want to do better and there's things that you 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 wrestle with because you don't want to live like the world you want to live more like Jesus do you care about your conduct that's important are you grieved by your sin and do you seek to change through God's grace do you have those birthmarks it's important that you do it's important for you, and it's also important for the sake of your church, for the people around you, you know, as a church family. You know what we really need as a church, what every church everywhere needs? Sometimes I get asked, what does the church need? And people always, when they're thinking that, they're like, okay, how, how can I spend my time, or how can I spend my resources, my finances, whatever I have? But the thing is, is the church doesn't need money, okay? We don't need resources, we don't need time. And and I don't want to make Peter nervous, he's our treasure, you know, hear me out on this. But money, time, resources, that's not what a church really needs. God doesn't need any of those things. When we come together as a church, if we, we give our time, our money, our resources, with the attitude of, I'm going to support or I'm going to invest and I've used that terminology in the past and I've decided that's the wrong way to look at it. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but when we, we, we approach something, whether we give to it, whether we support it, however we do, we expect a return on those things or we, we, we give those things with expectations um, when we support something. But that's the wrong way to look at offering ourselves, what we have, it's, 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 it's the wrong way to look at being a born-again believer and loving our church. When someone asks me, what does a church need? I don't say money. I don't say money. And I don't say even say volunteers. What we need are born-again believers who demonstrate these birthmarks and worship God in every aspect of their lives. Time, talents, resources, all that stuff. If we have a church full of born-again believers who are bearing these birthmarks, all the rest of that stuff is going to happen. That'll fall into place. But what we need to do is be born-again believers who care about serving Jesus. And the other stuff will fall into place. Are you a born-again believer? Do you have these birthmarks? Because it's important to think about. It's important to think, do I know Jesus or just... I've seen it so many different times. It really doesn't matter how long someone's been in church or how long they haven't been in church. It could be their first day. They could have been there for decades. And they don't know Jesus because they've never understood the gospel and accepted Him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me for a moment and pray as we think about these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in prayer. We're grateful for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, for your just wonderful provision, for your wonderful care. And I pray that we would think about this. Do we know Jesus? Do we see these birthmarks in our lives? Are we a saved believer who is acting that out in every aspect of our lives, whether it be a family, whether it be our time, our resources, our finances do we manage those things to you do we give ourselves up as a living sacrifice to you and I pray that you'd help us recognize those areas where we need to work on because we know Lord we're not perfect and I pray that you would convict us and help us to grow and become more of who you want us to be we're grateful for Jesus and it's in his name that we pray amen Thank you so much. Um,